Hello, welcome to Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Waiminga, and on this program I take you on a Canadian art tour, starting here on Amherst Island and going beyond. Every episode we visit a different studio and talk to artists and artisans about their work, their beginnings, and more. We'll update cjai.ca slash studio stories with images of or links to our guests' work and sites, so be sure to take a look. I am in Guelph today, visiting with Iris Dorton of Blue Iris Studios. Hey, Iris, how are you? Good, Lynn. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you from Guelph? Uh, no, my mom lives here, okay. and I think the reason we got introduced to Guelph is because my brother went to university okay. here. My brother now lives in Elora, so he came back gotcha. okay. to the area. Because Lynn's mom comes into my shop, shopping for her, so right. I just wasn't sure. That's right. We no, from. they moved. My mom said... They had an apple orchard in Colburn. Mm. Then they moved about a kilometer south of that for several years, built okay. a house. It was nice. Uh, and then my mom said, before I die, I want a little urban living. <laughs> so they chose a child to be near right on. of the four of us okay. and came here. We were in Toronto and they were like, we can't afford that's Toronto. Much, yeah. yeah. So, right so that's, that's what brought okay. them here. And brought you here. And brought me here. Okay, so Iris, for the people who... For the people who don't know, <laughs> tell us what you do. Um, I'm a potter. I've been potting since, well, I guess I took my first class in 2005, no, 2002, when I was living in Vancouver, and I've been making full-time since 2005, I guess, yeah, 2005, 2006. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So I make pottery. I also make jewelry. I make jewelry out of PMC, precious metal clay, which is pure silver, and I also make quite a bit of porcelain jewelry, and that's because I had a pottery accident not an accident, but an injury about nine years ago, and I couldn't make for a few months. So, right. so I started doing, doing things that were less demanding smaller. on my arms. Right, yeah. right. That's so now I, do I didn't. Mostly I didn't pottery. know about that. I, yeah, I because I, I get drawn in by your mugs. Well, every I'll have time a jewelry I, display there. I will it's, look. <laughs> I just get I get sidetracked by the yeah. mugs yeah. every time I yeah. see you. But I consider myself a potter. Yeah. Yeah. First and foremost. Awesome. So uh, my uh, my next question you've already started on. Mm-hmm. How did you get started? What were you doing before? Oh, okay. Well, I actually, um, well, I went to school here in Guelph. I came to Guelph in 1980 to study food and nutrition. And yeah, then I left because I thought Toronto was still the center of the universe and who could possibly have a career outside of Toronto. Um, <laughs> but I took a bit of a chance in 2002. I was, so I didn't, I hated nutrition. I hated working in it. And so I had other jobs in sales, marketing, professional development, and then I ended up working at an advertising agency. So I worked for, my last job was in Toronto as a senior account director at an ad agency that specialized in healthcare advertising. So I used my healthcare background with nutrition, right? and I really enjoyed advertising. It was the easiest job in the world for me. People thought, so stressful, advertising, oh my God, seriously, Okay, maybe I didn't work eight hours a day. Maybe I worked nine hours a day. I never worked weekends. I had the greatest boss. I was grossly overpaid. I had great clients. And I quit. (laughs) I quit when I was 41. Because I thought, that's not right. This is like the values are all wrong for me. I didn't feel right about it. And since I wasn't married and didn't have kids and wasn't saving for kids' university, I thought, I'm just going to go on a little adventure. So I quit my job and moved to B.C., and I only wanted to work part-time. They want to hire me on the agency to do freelance work, writing and consulting. So I thought, okay, I can do that 20 hours a week from my dining room table, a block from English Bay, two blocks from Stanley Park. Yeah, I can totally yeah, yeah. do that. And I had free time. So I took a uh, 
woodturning class, which I thought I would love, but the teacher lost the tips off three of his digits, so I thought it didn't bode well for the students. Mm-hmm. And I also took a pottery class, which I totally loved. Nice. But I was the worst in my class. So I'm only, I, I love telling students this, or people who come in and go, oh, you're so good. It's like, I'm only a potter because I was the worst in my class. Everybody else there, they were lawyers and teachers taking classes for stress relief, and they were all relaxed. And I was like, I want to get good. I want to get good. And I was so lousy. So I put my head down and just worked really hard. You were determined to get it. Yeah. If I'd been good, I might have thought, oh, yeah, whatever, next. But I was so lousy and it made me so mad. Isn't that funny? So don't despair. Don't despair. students. (laughs) Right. Oh, I was that student earlier this year. I was like, yeah, I'm not, that's not me. Not I. Mm -mm." No. But, you know, it's so tactile. I think also with the wood turning, it's a piece of wood attached to a lathe, and you have a mask on your face, and you're holding tools. So I felt no connection to the right. material. As much as I love the finished product of a you know a turned wood bowl, I felt no connection in the making. Right. Whereas with the clay, you are right in, in there. So yeah, it just was much more. There was a connection that I had with the clay that I couldn't get with wood, as an example. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So you tried the pottery. Yeah. And then you, what made you say, this is what I'm going to do? Well, I never said that. So I took my first class in 2002, and then I missed my family. I had like a bunch of little nieces and nephews in Toronto and Ottawa. So I moved back to Ontario, and I thought, well, I'll go to school. I'll go to Sheridan College for ceramics. But, you know, I went, and I talked to Bruce Cochran, and I looked around, and I thought, shit, it's taken me. Okay, so I moved to Toronto in 73 from Montreal. I cried for months and months and months. So I actually didn't like Toronto, but I still thought it was the center of the universe. But I got out, and I was so happy to be out, so I couldn't go back and go to Oakville to go to school. Yeah. So rather than living downtown, which I didn't even like, I'm going to live in the suburbs, which I would like even less. No. So I went to Halliburton. They have a 14-week ceramics intensive Mm -hmm. from September to December, and I went for that. And that was, you know, it was was great in some ways and, and very problematic in some ways, but it gave me some basics that I could build on. So then I moved to Peterborough rented studio space from a potter there and just like put my head down and work my ass off and within a year I was doing the one-of-a-kind show that's how insane I was I didn't do that well I didn't have the right product line I had no idea what I was getting myself into but I thought shoot the puck right right so my whole attitude has just been shoot the puck right yeah that's that's awesome yeah and then I hated one-of-a-kind so I I stopped doing one-of-a-kind and moved to Guelph it's a bigger market for pottery than Peterborough really yeah like Peterborough is 74,000 and it's there's you know a segment of the town doing really well and a huge segment of the population not doing so great so and it's also more of a traditional kind of marketplace so I found it I didn't really test it out fairly but right. I felt like um, Guelph would be a better place for me because I mean Kitchener Waterloo is almost 500,000 yeah, there's Peterborough's you know, more Cambridge. kind of isolated yeah yeah and I was gonna have to do shows like one of a kind so the year my last year in Peterborough I did like one of a kind uh, Toronto Outdoor Art Exhibition, mm-hmm. Muskoka Arts and Crafts, and Kempenfest. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine the sh- so the schlep, we all talk about the schlep to the show. Hate it. But schlepping mm-hmm. breakables. It's the worst schlep. <laughs> of all the schlepping, it's the worst possible schlepping. You're, schle- you're, you're wrapping every piece in bubble wrap, oh, yeah. and then when the windstorm comes, you are like having a nervous breakdown. The walls on your tent are yeah. flapping, and it, you know, you're just a big 
huffing a puff away from losing it all. Yeah. No, I don't schlep very much anymore. <laughs> my New Year's resolution, minimize schlepping and tidy up my house. The yeah. 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 Okay, so my next question is, because I've been admiring your work for years, tell me about your inspiration for the designs mm. on your on your work. Yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of um, it's sort of an unconscious process, I think. But because I came to pottery quite late in life, um, I sort of had already had a certain personal aesthetic that I liked that was fairly developed, I think, and my taste is quite. It's not austere, but it's not ornate. It's kind of somewhere in between. So I like something clean, but a nice form. And a little something-something, you know, right. like a nice yes. little something on there. But not, like, I can't, you know, draw flowers all over something. Like, it's not me, so it would look ridiculous. So they're very simple designs that are usually inspired by nature, but not like a replica. So right. people ask me, like, oh, what's the inspiration? I'll say, well... For me, it was kind of a like a bulrush, and then I took a like a bulrush or a seed pod and added a top piece to it. And oh, okay, I thought it was a an eye. I thought it was a knot in a tree. I thought it was you know everybody sees something yeah. different, yeah. which is all right. Yeah, exactly. And then so I started with that sort of motif that I've been working for about nine years, and then with a new line that I started on about two years ago, sort of expanded on that, where there's elements of that that are still present, but because of the process is different, I've been able to expand the, the decoration right and shift the forms up a bit which yeah. I'm happy about yeah. that's cool uh, yeah I love that that people can interpret it mm-hmm. it's open to interpretation yeah so that's great okay my mom asked this question where's the name come from oh the name okay <clears throat> well my obviously my name is Iris and I was named after my grandmother Iris Dorton and she lived to be 100 which is like I'm afraid it's my destiny but it's my worst fear <laughs> <laughs> and she was a painter. And also, when I moved to Peterborough, I heard there was this guy named George Stewart, and I was in Halliburton going to school, and I was told, oh, there's a guy in Peterborough who has a sort of co-op studio, and he's looking to rent out space, which seemed perfect for somebody who was just starting out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I moved to Peterborough, not having talked to him, and then wandered into his yet unopened shop and said, hi, my name's Iris. I hear you have some studio space to rent. He goes, oh, that's a vision for the future. That's not happening now. I'm opening this new studio, and I don't have space, but you seem nice, so I'm going to make space for you. So he carved out like a little wee section of his showroom, put a screen up, I put my wheel in there, and he rented me space. It was crazy. And he said he was like a burnt-out production potter, and his number one selling pattern was the blue iris. And he painted blue irises over everything. He was like a country-style kind of potter. And he said, now that I have the real iris in my studio, I'm not doing any more of that blue iris pottery. I'm just so done with it. And so it was kind of like an homage to George and my grandmother. That is lovely. Yeah. Love it. Mom's going to love that story. Okay. uh, I always ask this question because the the podcast, the radio program, Mm -hmm. is called Studio Stories. So... Tell us about your studio, and you're in a new space, so... Yay! How'd you get here? Yeah, well, I got my sorry ass kicked out of the old space. So I was... <laughs> I, I am, like, a block 
outside of downtown Guelph, although it's now considered part of the downtown, and it's starting to develop a bit. But I was in the basement of like a mini mansion kind of building with a side door entrance, so I was open to the public, but I just had a sandwich board at the end of the driveway. Yeah. So I did some business direct from my studio, but mainly people who saw me at local shows like the Potter's Market or Fair November or Art in the Street would find me, right? Or if they were Googling pottery in Guelph, they would find me. Um, but it was a bit intimidating because you couldn't really see what I had. There was no window. You know, yeah. it's kind of, you know, to go into a maker's studio when you don't know what's there, it's like, what if I walk in and I hate it all and, yeah. and she's right there? It's like, how do I get out, <laughs> tiptoe out? Maybe she won't have noticed that I came in. Anyway, so I got my butt kicked out and it was like a year ago and it was devastating beyond all imagining. But in the end, it was a blessing in disguise because I had really sort of, my business was growing but really slowly in that space. Mm. And I was ready to do fewer shows and have a storefront. So I found this space just three doors south of my old studio with big, beautiful display windows, a brightly lit sign above the door. It's on a busy street in a, yeah. little, a little hub that's really developing with a bunch of businesses that have opened up here in the last couple of years. So Really great storefront, uh, by the way. Like, just... Just, the windows are nice and clean. Ah, They're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's been transformational. I've been here since July. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy here. So, so, so happy. So, yeah, like, I don't want to talk, like, exact numbers, and it's hard to say because I've just been through my first holiday season. But I, I more than doubled my sales in December here than in my old studio. If I actually look back, it might even be triple, right? So it's, like, how great. Yeah, and, and, and if that's you're just to walk away from shows, that's perfect, right? Absolutely. You get... Yeah. Because I find... The hardest thing about being a maker is the isolation in my studio. Mm-hmm. So to work alone all day, every day, for me is brutal. So I just really realistically couldn't be somebody who worked alone all the time and then just wholesaled their work. Oh, yeah. I'd go bananas, yeah. right? So this, people say, oh, but you're getting interrupted all the time. But you know what? I'm getting all the money from my sales. I'm getting a little social interaction. I feel like alive. I feel like part of the scene. Yeah. It's, for me, it's the best thing. Yeah, and the one thing that you that people can't get from wholesale is the story, and I find that people want the story behind handmade goods. Right? Well, I they think want they want a connection, right? Yeah, so exactly. it, they walk in here; it's very open. So my window's onto the street. If you peer in the front window, you can see all the way this, through the studio to the back door. I have little ways of camouflaging the messiest parts, slightly, I think. Um, but it's quite open, so yeah. it's, it's obvious everything's made here, right? So they're like, wow, you make it here? Yeah. So it gives them that, that a different feeling, right? Yeah. Even when you're at a show, you're in a booth, and yeah, you're a maker. But we all know some shows have buy and sell. Right. And so yeah. it's a different connection when they can see you say, oh, let me wash the clay off my hands before I help you with that. It's like, yeah, obviously yeah. I'm making it, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, my favorite set of questions is Ooh. always... Um, what's the biggest challenge, but maybe you already said it. Okay, yeah, there are two, two big challenges. Yeah, one is, for me, working alone and not having coworkers. So, for me, I, I kept hoping there'd be some kind of an art center would open up in Guelph, or some kind of a large studio downtown where I could have my own workspace, shared shop space, yeah. and have other living beings around. So, yeah. absolutely, for me, I did not consider how difficult working alone would be in mm-hmm. my decision. Um, so the hardest thing is working alone. The second hardest is the stress of being self-employed. Because I always had, you know, a steady paycheck. I never worried about, like, oh, am I going to be okay? Am I going to have enough for retirement? I always knew that I could save enough and I'd be fine. I was understimulated in my life, but I, I wasn't worried about 
finances. So I'd say the stress around that is is the hardest thing. Never really believing you're going to be okay, which is stupid. So my super friend Wolf, when I get all stressed about this, this is a really good lesson he taught me. He said, Iris, your story is one of abundance, not of need. So there's nothing in my history that says I'm going to end up being a bag lady. So maybe I could drop that story. But it, and it's always on your mind also. There's no off switch. When I worked in my other careers, I never thought about work outside of work. And I didn't anticipate the fact that there was no off switch, or I have not found the off switch for self-employment. Because wherever you go, well, I'm sure you're the same way. You're out on the, you're out on the weekend, you look at someone's hat, and you're like, oh, I wonder whose hat that is. I wonder about this. I wonder about this. You know? Ooh, new style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, there's no, there's no shutting it off. Yeah. And that does take its toll, so I need to find some ways yeah, but you were saying, you know, uh, I don't know what the, exactly the word you were just using is your career before was... Mm. I knew I wouldn't want to do it forever. So my, my dad, who's almost 90, he's an engineer, and he did not give up his engineering license until he was 80. So he was doing paid engineering work until he was 80, consulting. Um, and even into his 80s, he was like a keynote lecturer at a bridge conference in Perth, Australia, that kind of thing, right? So like he's, like, might say, obsessed about bridges. But um, I thought, what am I doing? I was 41 and going, okay, if I work for, you know, I can work till I'm 50 and then maybe I can retire when I'm 50 or 55. And I thought, what am I doing? Count, I'm 41. What am I doing counting my years to retirement when my dad, who is 31 years just older than me, work. just wants to, just loves it so much. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I need to find some other inspiration in my life yeah. because I knew by then I wasn't going to have children. So I couldn't fill up the space with that. Right. And um, yeah. Okay, so the other side of the question is what's the best, most interesting, most fun part? Yeah, it varies. Because sometimes making pottery, it's like, sometimes it's a slog, right? Because sometimes you're a factory worker, the difference is you just own the factory, right? right? Um, but other times it's just fantastic and you love what you're making and you love your customers and everything else. So, so there are days when you just have to grind it out and you turn on, turn on the radio, turn on some music and just put your head down and do it. Yeah. And there's a, there's a great quote by, I think it's Robertson Davies. And somebody asked him, do you love writing? And he says, well, something to the effect of, I don't love writing, but I love having written. So right. one of the things about pottery making is, even if I'm not like super in the mood, when I look at my wear cart at the end of the day, when I've had a good day of throwing, it's like, wow, I made all that, yay. Yeah. Right or looking out into your shop when people come in and go, "Wow, you made all this!" Like it's the satisfaction of having made as much as the making. And right. some days it's more about the making, and some days it's more about the satisfaction right. of having made. And that's also a really important part of having a shop because you get that positive feedback every day yes. instead of um, just waiting for a show. If you're just joining us, this is Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Wyminga, and on this episode, we're speaking with potter Iris Dorton at Blue Iris Studios in Guelph, Ontario. So can you tell us a little bit about your process? Yeah, so and, my process and, is pretty basic. Like, yeah. you know, I, I buy clay from a pottery supply store and <laughs> prep the clay here in my studio, put it on the wheel, make it into different shapes. But, but, the, <clears throat> but you're glazing, like you used to use a wax. Yeah, I used to use the... The work that I've been making sir, for the last nine years had a matte glaze on the outside and a glossy, strongly colored glaze on the inside and quite a quiet glaze on the outside. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure what to say about that, except that I knew when I started out, I didn't want to be one of those potters that made the same work their whole lives, right? right. Like, I know, and it's hard because you get customers who are really attached to that, oh, so they yeah. want it, right? Yeah. So you have to balance, like, do I want to keep making the same work the same way forever? Yeah. Um, my customers might like that, but it would kill me. So, sorry, customers, but I have prioritized myself. So, yeah, so the work that I was making, I still make that. I just don't wholesale it anymore. I don't take it to shows. I have a small, very limited selection of it in my studio, and now I've switched... Yeah, you know, you can't alienate the existing customers. And if they come in and they want a butter dish, I'll make it for them. I'm not going to make a whole pile and put them out because I don't want to encourage more people to buy that when I have other butter dishes <laughs> I want them to buy <laughs> in my new line. But, you know, yeah. I will make it for them. And, yeah, so I switched away from that because from a process standpoint, it was very limiting. Like, you know, sometimes you get into, certainly with pottery, raw materials change. So one of the raw materials in my base glaze really was not no longer available and mm -hmm. I have got a stash that I bought from some retiring potters to last me for a while but you know it's problematic when you know there's a finite yeah. supply of something so I thought that's probably a good time to make switch the switch up. that particular line was also every material has its limitations so the way I was working with that material there are very limited ways I could decorate the work and I became a little bit um, ready for more variety in the work right. and that particular line while it was extremely popular, it was limiting for me creatively. And so I can either say I'm going to be creatively limited for the rest of my days making pottery or just take a chance and try something yeah. quite different and see how that goes. Yeah. And it's been great. And uh, yeah, when trying something new. Yeah. Just well, new ideas, right? And new yeah. spaces always bring on new ideas as well. So I find that, you know, coming in here in July, a lot of new ideas have been popping into my head. I think that's, I think a lot of makers find that when you change a studio your work does shift. Yeah. Um, I'm right across from a pub and now I'm making beer glasses. Oh, shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Tools. Do you have any, like, like, is there a tool that you have that you can't live without that oh, makes yeah. your life so much easier? Oh, yeah. So I have a pug mill. Tools. More a piece of equipment than no, a tool. No, I, I consider equipment. Okay. What's when a pug mill? A pug mill is a machine that mixes up your clay and sucks the air out of it so it doesn't oh, have little air bubbles yes. in it. yes. So when you buy the clay direct from the manufacturer, it's in pretty good shape when you buy it, but over time it dries out a bit on the outside, and so you need to wedge it. So you basically, it's like it's like kneading bread, but the opposite, because kneading bread, you're trying to incorporate air, yes. wedging, you're trying to squeeze the air bubbles out. But it can be very hard on your arms and your wrists. So I injured myself partly because I was making so much work and not had a, didn't have a pug mill. So when you go to school here in Canada, they say, okay, to start a studio, you need a wheel, and a kiln and a work table. And my friend Jessica Steinhauser, who was a potter for a long time and now builds masonry heaters, said when they go to school in Germany, they say you need a wheel, a pug mill, and a kiln. But a pug mill is $5,000 yeah. minimum, right? So people don't get pug mills and then they hurt themselves. Or they say, oh, pottery's too much work, or that, that, that. I miss the pipes I had when I didn't have a pug mill, but. Of course. My wrists, my arms, I have not really been seriously injured since then, since right. getting a pug mill. So right. the best $5,000 I ever spent. Excellent. And that's where sharing a studio is good also, because it is a really big investment. Right. So if you were sharing it among a number of potters, it would be more doable. It's very hard for young people, if they go to school without working first, to finish school and then set up a studio. It's a mm -hmm. very expensive proposition. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of the people who I know who are making pottery now. My favorites are all people who 
came from another career, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. It's also hard to make a living. With It's a lot of stuff, right? I had somebody in my studio, this is like crazy, just before Christmas. She's like, oh, pottery, I love pottery. It must be so amazing to be a potter. You can take it anywhere and do it anywhere if you want to go to France and make pottery. I said, are you kidding me? Open your eyes. <laughs> Look at all this, Look at all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> i got to sell or store all this stuff, yeah. haul my ass to France, try to make contacts, try to weasel my way into someone's studio, try to figure out their material, use their equipment, try to figure out what to make with their types of clay, and then find a way to sell it there. It's like the least portable thing you could ever do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I put it in softer terms to her, but really. I did, but really, like, look around. It's so portable. I'll just pop this in my backpack. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. That's right. What do you wish you'd known when you got started? Well, I, I kind of answered it already in the isolation. I wish yeah, yeah, I'd, yeah, I wish yeah, I'd yeah. known that. I also wish I'd had a better sense of the best way to sell pottery. Like, I think if I'd known eight years ago what I know now, I would have moved into it, or nine years ago when I moved into my basement studio. If I had known how fantastic having a storefront could be I would have tried a little harder to get a storefront right I also think you have assumptions about space when I first moved to Guelph I was renting studio space from Jessica Steinhauser she has a ginormous studio it's probably 2,000 square feet Mm. it's just huge 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 so I was renting space from her and I thought okay well she has 2,000 square feet and it's full of stuff so maybe I could make do with 1,000 square feet. So the space I rented was 1,100 square feet. My new storefront, this is storefront, workspace, kiln, everything, it's 560. Right. It's also understanding that you can, like what the priority is. So I prioritized getting enough floor space for all my stuff without prioritizing how to sell it. Right. So the selling was highly compromised to get the, I, needed, I thought I needed at least 1,000 square feet walking distance from my house which is important to me. But I probably could have got a really small store for not much more money, and mm-hmm. it would have paid off in terms of sales. So really maybe just, yeah. yeah. Because the, the storefront thing, the retail thing, is, is a block for a lot of people. It's like a, it's a lot of pressure. It's right? a lot of pressure, but you know the truth is people put pressure on themselves, and I have very limited hours. So I, my posted hours are... Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 12 to 5, Saturday, 11 till 2. Now, those are basement studio hours, right? So I know I'm going to have to up up things mm-hmm. being here in the store. But and that's I all imagine right. you had longer hours during the Christmas. I did, for sure. Absolutely. I was open, like, every day. Um, so don't, don't, don't assume you can't do it because somebody says if you have a store, you have to be married to retail hours. Right. So I'm going to be open probably, I'm probably going to say Thursday nights I'll be open till 6 because really closing at 5 is stupid. you got to have one night when somebody can come yeah, eventually after, after work. work. And I'm open more times by chance or appointment. Yeah. But you, I mean, it's your business. You can make those decisions, right? Yeah. Anything that you would tell a, a new potter? Well... That's a hard one. My niece is 16. One of my nieces is 16, and she goes to a arts high school, and she loves ceramics, and she was here last weekend and spent a couple of days in the studio, you know, trying some new things that she's yeah. not learning at school. And, and she said, Auntie Iris, do you ever get bored? Do you ever find it boring? So she's actually starting to ask those questions, yeah. right? So what was your question? 
what, what advice would I have? I think the advice I would have for anybody thinking about, uh, a, you know, being a professional potter would be the same that I would give to any teenager in high school and that I talk to my nieces and nephews about is think about how you want to work, right? Like, do you like working inside or outside? Do you like working with people or do you like working alone? Do you like working on a regular schedule? Do you like working nights? Like, know yourself because unless you really know who you are, as much as you love pottery, it may or may not be the right thing for you or it might be the right thing part-time or it might be the thing where you'd want to teach as well as make for that social outlet. Right, right. So I think it's the whole the whole lifestyle around it. Like, do you want to be doing schlepping stuff and doing shows? Maybe you love shows. I have friends. Maybe you love schlepping. People, well, yeah. <laughs> you are twisted. Um, but it could be that people who make a loan in their studios all week like to do a show almost every weekend because that's when they meet people. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. So do you work better alone or as part of a team? Like all these questions. So these are things I didn't consider yeah. and it was kind of stupid because I was old enough that I should have known better. But mainly because when I got into it, I didn't think I was going to do it part full time. Right. My intent was I, so I, I was going to take a year off from the freelance writing and consulting, get good at making pots and then go back to doing 20 hours a week and doing do what I was doing and doing like say 20 hours on the side. Right. So I'd have my, my income would be okay from the other and my creative would be just a bonus for me and a little extra income and then I put it off for another year and then I put it off for another year and then then I called them and said okay like I'm I'm ready to take on a job and so then they sent me a job and I remember going to a coffee shop here in Guelph Red Brick Cafe I sat in there with the SWOT analysis and the five-year plan (laughs) and the and I'm sitting here reading this going, I would rather stick sharp pins in my eye than figure out how to get 1% more market share for this nutritional product over that nutritional product. And then they delayed the launch. And I said, okay, great. When you're launching, it's my busy season, so I can't do it. Thank you very much. I'm out. And that was it. Yeah. Well, that's good. So if you have a day the, job, was... don't wait too long right. <laughs> or else you won't be able to go back. Yeah. <laughs> Because what was really easy became excruciatingly painful. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, think about, you know, people always say multiple streams of income are good Mm -hmm. when you're self-employed. So whether that's if you're making pots, you have income from maybe it's from direct selling, from wholesaling, from teaching, from whatever. Maybe that's your multiple streams of income. Maybe one is a maybe you've had a professional career and you can do that part time and make pottery part time. But just think about how to make the numbers sing because it's not the steadiest. Yes. My next, my last question is always, where can people find your work? So tell us where your studio is. Oh yeah, I'm in beautiful downtown Guelph, Ontario, and I am at 179 Woolwich Street, right across from Guelph's favorite meeting place, the Woolly Pub. <laughs> Seriously, it's awesome. <laughs> and do you and still wholesale anywhere? Um, I do. I wholesale to five galleries. Um, and I do a small number of shows. I do like, you know, the Hamilton Potter's Guild show, mm-hmm. a couple of pottery shows here in Guelph. But I, yeah, maybe eight or nine shows. Right. But I'm reevaluating that this year. Because if I do if I do a show that's like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday show over the holidays, I'm basically closing my shop yeah. for a week yeah. at the beginning of busy season. And that's no way to build your business. So I think I'm probably going to take a year and chill on those holiday shows. Mm-hmm see what happens in my shop yeah because my focus is really on building this that's excellent yeah 
so we, you have a website. We'll I do. My atrocious website, which has not been updated in eight years, is blueirisstudios.ca. Yes, I hired somebody two years ago to redo my website, and it's all redone except for me taking new photos and uploading them. Oh, well. Um, I have an Instagram, at blueirisguelph. You've got about two pictures up. Okay, so I posted twice on my Instagram <laughs> in five years until my 22-year-old niece said, Oh, and my two photos, one was a plate of cookies and one was a bunch of tomato sauce that our family had processed in tomato season. Oh, Auntie Iris, you're an Instagram foodie. That wasn't my intent, so I changed my handle to at Blue Iris Guelph and got a friend to make me some gift tags for Christmas with my handle on it. And I gave him out a gift with purchase and it had my Instagram handle, so now I've posted five times in December. (laughs) All right, well, (laughs) we'll have to up your... Up your Social game. media. That's oh, right. I have talked oh, to Jillian about upping your game. I have a Facebook page, Blue Hour Studios. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll post all those on our cji.ca slash studio stories page for you. Okay. Um, and I'll share them widely on my social media. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll take some photos of your gorgeous work. Thank you. And thank you for your time today. Thank you, Lynn. So Thanks for coming thank in. You. Nice to see you yes. in the home turf. Thanks for joining us for Studio Stories' 15th episode with Iris Dorton of Blue Iris Studios in Guelph, Ontario. Be sure to check out some of Iris's pottery and jewelry, plus links and contact info, at cjai.ca slash studio stories. My sincere apologies for not posting the September 2018 interview with Irish dry stonewaller Louise Price, but the sound quality was just too wretched. Lesson learned, no more interviews in my truck on the way to the train station. Louise has promised another interview when we meet again. Until next time, stay creative, listeners.